0: Hey, welcome to another episode of Future Folio, a podcast about investing in the future. I'm your host Kevin Lum. Uh, we're here with my co-host Adam Bloom. Um, we have we went missing for a week, MIA. I apologize that you have that void in your podcast app, but we are back um, with another episode about NFTs, which just continue to explode and the possibilities and kind of the, the ecosystem around. Um, NFTs just continues to expand. In fact, right before we hopped on uh, and started the podcast, I was getting Adam to explain a bit more about how NFTs work and how your NFTs can actually sit in your MetaMask wallet. Um, so anyway, we're gonna got another, we're got an interview that Adam's gonna do today um, about, uh, and I'll let him introduce our guest about nfts and uh but before that as we like to always start by disclaiming um, just as a reminder this podcast is purely for informational purposes or educational purposes um, or entertainment purposes Uh, nothing that we say should be taken as financial advice Um, in fact really shouldn't take our advice on anything Um, but we hope that it is interesting to you uh, so we, we like to start with the news. What is up in the world of crypto or DeFi
1: blockchain, etc.? Cetera. Etc. Cetera. The things. All right. The metaverse. All right. So um, yeah, the uh w- at least one of the big stories of the fall continues to be NFTs, and um, we have uh Zach Burks on today. My interview with Zach Burks, who is the founder of Mintable. And Zach is kind of an NFT OG. He's been into this uh, space for as long as it has existed, more or less. Um, So it was very interesting to hear his perspective on where it's come from, where it's going. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, I, as Kevin was saying, I sort of, after doing a couple of these interviews, was like, all right, I want some NFTs. And so I started... I started poking around and uh, figuring out what I liked and what I could get into. And, you know, we had Jeremy Booth on a few uh, weeks ago. Talk about his uh, his uh, project Bushido's, his NFT project. And they just had their mint this week. I bought a couple of those. Um, I bought a couple of other ones. And uh, yeah, um, super fun. I have to admit, it's a, it's a lot more fun to open your wallet and see NFTs than it is to open your wallet and see coins. It's just it's more fun. Um, And I I think that uh, I think that ultimately um, where it's going is if people can figure out how to leverage the sort of technical yield farming power of DeFi with the just sort of pure enjoyment, entertainment, utility of NFTs, like having NFTs as the front end, as the sort of customer facing part of a sort of DeFi program of, of something that is powered by DeFi and by yield farming. I, I think yeah. that the the fun of it is really undeniable. It is just more interesting to open your wallet and see these images and use them around as profile pics and, and just look at them and enjoy them and appreciate them as art um, than it is to be like, oh, I used to have, you know, two ETH and now I have 2.1. Like, wow. So it's, um you know, it's interesting. It is the gamification of money that I think is a huge piece of this as we've been discussing about. So, with that intro, the news, the hard news. Um number 1 is uh you know, October in crypto circles is often called Uptober because uh it's a month when crypto tends to do well and uh crypto's doing well. Uh we're having an Uptober. Doing
0: new high all-time highs. Yeah, all-time
1: highs. So um You know, the SEC finally, finally, finally took the leash off of now, I believe, two Bitcoin ETFs, which promptly set Bitcoin uh, up to an all time high from which it has retreated. I love how crypto does this like Groundhog Day thing where it kind of like pops out to an all time high and then gets scared and runs back. So
0: pops back in, pulls its head in, pulls its head in.
1: So uh, so we're off the all time highs now, but um, but we did cross uh, the previous Bitcoin all time high was 64, went up to 67. Now it's back to like 61. So it's moving around. But, you know, for months and months, it was 30, 40, 50 and then Zoom. So it's doing its Bitcoin thing Um, and, uh, you know, no predictions, disclaimer, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll see where the rest of the year goes. Um,
0: you know, you know, one thing that's interesting on the, uh, the SEC is they did not approve, uh, a bit, uh, a, a Bitcoin fund, Bitcoin ETF to hold actual Bitcoin, but it can trade Bitcoin futures. Uh, and that was a, an important distinction for them when they approved it is that this, this fund cannot actually hold Bitcoin, but it can hold trade Bitcoin futures. Uh, um, okay which I just thought thought was really interesting, partially because they said they felt it was safer. Um, I just, I mean, do yeah, you get I, it?
1: I don't get it. The I, I don't get it. The way that it. they view this stuff sometimes is like, it's like, that. well, okay, we're going down, Uh, we're going down a road where like, there's lots of flashing yellow lights for me. We're not going to talk about regulation or regulators. So I will back off of this, but. Um, yeah,
0: it's just interesting. Like I, I, I don't, I, I just don't even, it's not even that I, I think they're wrong. I just don't really understand it fully. Yeah, so, it, anyway, it is. I thought that was an interesting aside.
1: Yeah, it is interesting to see, Um, I think, the, the difference between the way it looks to, you know, small investors like you and me and the way it looks to regulators in DC. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, those ETFs are... Uh, are seem to be driving Bitcoin, which is, as usual, driving the rest of the cryptocurrency market. Um, It's all highly correlated to Bitcoin. Ethereum also briefly hit an all time high previously been 4,400, 4,500. topped that and then did the groundhog thing, retraced, pulled back is now just a little over 4,000. And, uh, you know, altcoins, uh, depending on your coin, are uh, are also doing pretty good. Um, so, uh, so that's been happening. Um, we seem to have now fully recovered from the May crash, which I will admit I said at the time was, quote, not a big deal. <laughs> it seems like it was kind <laughs> of a big deal, but we're back. Uh, six months later, we have regained all of that lost value. So, um, we'll see where the rest of the year goes, but, uh, right now things are running. Um, and then Ethereum Uh, We talked a lot about the London fork a couple of months ago. Yeah, they have another upgrade coming in called Altair. I don't know what that one's named after. It sounds like a European car. Maybe I'm not sure, but uh, they're they're starting to make the final implementations, the final tests and the final uh, revisions to their code to fully implement the beacon chain that will be the full launch of quote unquote, Ethereum 2.0, which will have sharding, which will have presumably full integration of the, um, you know, side chains. um, And uh, and we'll see if if those um, upgrades finally solve the gas fee problem on Ethereum that has been going on really all of this year, uh, if not much longer. So um, so that's coming down. Um, I read an, I,
0: as an aside, I read a, an article today that said that, um, calling transaction fees, gas fees was the greatest marketing ploy in all of history or something like yeah. that, which it is, right? It sounds better than transaction fees. It's the gas fee.
1: Yeah. I mean, I to, think, to think to it, you know, it, it makes sense when you read the way they talk about it, where it's like, well, yeah, the idea is that, you know, you're using up. Literally, the energy of the blockchain, like you're consuming yeah. electricity, yeah, no, consuming
0: resources. Makes sense. Yeah, so we
1: call it gas, but yeah, what it is is a transaction fee, and it's exorbitant. So hopefully, um, these changes coming down will finally uh, slay that monster. Obviously, DeFi has been spreading out um, across a number of smaller chains. Uh, Solana, we've talked about. Uh, Harmony uh, is running up. Avalanche is running up. Phantom. Um, uh, Cosmos. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the other alt alt chains are starting to take uh, bites out of Ethereum um, with uh, lower gas fees and and they're offering money from their treasury to incentivize people to to build protocols on their chains. Um, so I think it is it, it it's probably too late for Ethereum to like slam the door on all of that, even if their gas fees went to zero tomorrow. But uh, I think they are at a point now where it's like they need to defend the throne a little bit. You know, they are having people sneak up on them because these gas fees are so high and other chains are are becoming more um, active and and gaining legitimacy just by virtue of the amount of developer activity and economic activity going on on there. So uh, so, yeah, we'll see if um, if Ethereum can solve its gas fee problem and and uh, zoom back, um, you know, fully into the lead. As uh as the primary uh, blockchain for defined NFTs, um,
0: yeah. I mean, part of the problem with the high gas fees is not only that you know someone else can maybe come along and take the throne, but but as an end user, it slows me down and causes me to transact less. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be more likely to to do more on the chain to to create more activity, to to farm more, to move back and forth between different uh, yield farms. But every time I go to do it, I'm like, oh, yeah, really, $50 really hurts just one way. You know, I just think, you know what? Just leave my money there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think absolutely there there was probably, you know, at least four months this year where I just stopped altogether and was like, no, you know, I'm not doing anything with when I finally decided I wanted to take the plunge on NFTs. I just decided to suck it up and pay the gas fees. But I can tell you it's not pleasant not enjoyable. Yeah. When you look at the price and then you look at the gas fee and you're like, okay, so this is how much? And then it's like, oh yeah, it's this plus it's an extra $140. And you just feel like you got, you know, food poisoned. You're just like, oh God. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not good. Um, and it, but once those go away, I think you
0: could see just a real spike in activity, Uh, you know, more trading, more buying, more selling, because now there's that you've taken away some of the friction um, because honestly, I it, it's stopped me from buying things. Lots of things and, for you know, me, yeah. It's, it's, uh, lots of things. So you know, the part of it is, I'm going to buy an NFT. I'm like, oh, I love that new Bushido or whatever that's out there, and I go to click to buy. And I'm like, ah, you know, 0. 0.25 ETH. That's not bad. I'm going to go ahead and spring for it because that was that right. a great my splurge, Twitter profile. But I'll go for and it. Then,
1: and you get yourself to the point mm, where you're willing to pay that.
0: Yeah. And then. And then the. The transaction fee pops up and I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't really need it. My, my photo looks just fine. And and my Twitter profile. No, I agree. Um, Um, So anyway, I think think it's going to be a big boon for the network. Well, we
1: have talked about how, you know, the, um, the gas fees being so high uh, limits activity, but the activity that you do get, you make a lot of money from if you're Ethereum. Yeah. And so if they, if they run the gas fees down to, you know, from a hundred dollars to like 50 cents by fully being able to accommodate the amount of economic activity that wants to be on the network without straining the network, then you certainly expect to see more activity, but you need to see a lot more right to to replace yeah. all of that lost revenue from the high transaction fees. so it's interesting. I think in the long run there's no question it's the right thing for them to do, but it is it's just a very funny thing to think about because if Ethereum were a publicly traded company with Wall Street pouring over its every move. I think there are people who would be like, you're going to do what, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just very funny to think about, but they are doing it. Well,
0: and I think, I think the miners are, are saying, you know, they're, they're a little bit like the, you know, the, the wall street analysts pouring over like,
1: ah, you're hurting my pocket here.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. But I think ultimately, um, you know, the London fork has gone in EIP one five, five, nine, the new gas fees, um, you know, the, uh, the burning of the tokens. We haven't talked about that in a while, but they are burning tokens at an astonishing rate because of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Ethereum, uh, continuing the, the march towards uh full implementation of the beacon chain. That's exciting. Um, Reddit also announced they're building an NFT marketplace. Um, so, uh, you know, we're seeing more and more of these things, uh, Coinbase, um, Full disclosure, that's my boss. That's my uh, my meal ticket. We're launching an NFT marketplace. That's been uh, that's been in the works for some time, and I've had to be very careful not to uh, not to allow any whisper of it out on the podcast. So I'm very happy to to share. We're excited. That's going to be fun. Plug us into the uh, fun, exciting, lucrative world of NFTs. Um, I think you're seeing more and more of this stuff. And
0: uh, and this will be a competitor to OpenSea or is that kind of like that? Is that what I of? Uh, I mean, kind of yeah, point? what's funny okay. is
1: Coinbase is an investor in OpenSea. So, oh, you know, we uh, we're we're building something that we think will have several advantages over OpenSea. But I think there's no I don't think that that the the project is intended to, like, be an OpenSea killer. It's it's yeah. our particular vision for how we think an NFT marketplace should look and feel and function. Um, OK. And, uh, you know, if if people want to be on our platform, great. If They want to be on OpenSea, great. Super rare, mintable, uh, nifty gateway. I think it's it's going to be, you know, I, I don't think anybody believes that one of these NFT platforms is going to come along and kill the others. Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, there are, there are interesting things in the works and, you know, I, it did occur to me, I think you and I were chatting yesterday after Snapchat released their earnings and, uh, admitted that they got kind of chokeslammed by the, uh, Apple, um, uh, iOS revisions that have the do not track feature for the apps that limited the efficacy of Snapchat's, uh, you know, app based targeted ads um you know it, it it made me think that like yeah the the salad days of uh those sort of app ads are over and i think that that as much as anything because i don't think apple is going to back off of that do not track stuff they've no and so you know if that's the world we're living in now then i think these companies have to take a hard look at this and say we need another way to make money and I think that as much as anything may start driving towards the metaverse because this is so lucrative yeah. and this is relatively easy to spin up and you just create a marketplace where you start selling this kind of stuff. And, you know, Kevin, you were saying the other day that uh, Facebook is apparently serious enough about this move into the metaverse that they're talking about rebranding the company. They're going to. Yeah, yeah. Did the, new name. Yeah, do uh, Was there any uh, any suggestion? Is there like a top five possible new names yet?
0: No, I, you know, I thought I read the new name was going to be something like Verge, uh, but I, I hate it. I now I'm yeah, I, now I'm <laughs> not sure on that. I uh, but I, I read something along those lines. How but about I have how no about idea the yet.
1: Zuckerverse?
0: The Zuckerverse. I, I think Mark would be a minimal to that. The marker
1: verse mark ft we
0: we should uh we should send uh suggestions to let's mark iterating.com let's
1: keep iterating <laughs> i'm sure he's listening we know zuckerberg is there sitting in his probably got one of those uh desks that's also like a stationary bike and a treadmill with oh, a massage that's exactly
0: exactly listening <laughs> to
1: future folio <laughs> <laughs> thinking about
0: he can't he he can't wait until the, the new episodes drop every yeah, week about he, he asks his assistant can you check it again has it dropped has it dropped
1: <laughs> think about how he can wring more data out of 12 year old girls <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so i mean this is big right like the the fact that one of the largest and most successful companies on the s&p 500 is can cons- <laughs> rebranding itself to go full into the head on into the metaverse. And then the other company that's doing quite well, not as much for revenue because of the Apple change, but in, in number of users, which is Snapchat. I mean, Snapchat is, is going the same place, right? Snapchat is on its way to the metaverse and it always has been. Probably. Yeah. Always has been. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting about Snap's earning reports, in fact, full disclosure, I sold some puts on Snap this morning, partially as a way to kind of step in because I think it's kind of an interesting time to take a position. But it, it snaps, even though they missed on their revenue, the top line, they their users, the their user base continued to expand at a re- remarkable rate. So it's growing at a rapid rate. And so once they figure out this kind of bump in the road around, th- there's really two issues. First is they're not able to target as well. And then second, advertisers are pulling back revenue. And I think that's part of what Kind of sparked the spooked the market today. I mean, we had a pretty big pullback in tech, particularly in ad tech today, and and I think part of that is because advertisers are pulling back their pulling back revenue because of COVID issues. But I also think they're starting to pull back because they can't target in the same way, and they ha- they've got to figure out how do we use our our dollars effectively. Where should our ad dollars go? And and so if a, you know an un, an ad on a phone can't properly target someone, then where can we go? And I think the metaverse is a really interesting space for some of those ad dollars to eventually go. And then also connected TV. I think you're going to start seeing connected TV continue to to grow in popularity as a space to run ads, whether that's Roku, which I have a position in um, or, you know, other spaces. Yeah,
1: no, I think it, I think it makes sense. I think it's an opportunity for uh, someone like Netflix to step in and say, you can track our users anywhere you want, you know. Yeah. Um but I think uh yeah, I think I think the metaverse it it to me it's like okay, it it puts Snap, a company like Snapchat back where they were a few years ago where it's like they have the users, now they have to figure out how to get some money out of them. Well, they still yeah. have the users, but the model that they had for getting revenue is now messed up and it's it's funny because it's like anytime you're a young tech company, There's always these warnings and these cautionaries about, you know, be very careful if your business model is dependent on other people's technologies. You know, if you are a content creator and you depend on Facebook or YouTube and Facebook or YouTube changes the model for how they split revenue. You know, I mean, there were a lot of early companies that were content companies that their model was they made content on YouTube and, you know, they monetized it and there were ads and they, they took a certain percentage of the ads and they had a model that worked. And then Google, YouTube, without really very much warning, said, "Okay, we're changing the split. It's now 50-50. And once that happened, a lot of the content creators had to look at the content they were making and say, this model doesn't work anymore. We can't afford to make this content anymore. And a lot of people went by the wayside. And what you were left with were the influencers who would make the content for effectively nothing, where it's like you know, like Mikey Murphy sitting in his bedroom, just talking to his phone. It doesn't cost him any money to make yeah. that content. And he can talk to his phone about his girlfriend or his, you know, his lunch or his uh, exercise routine or whatever he feels like chattering about and then say, this is brought to you by Amazon. Dump it on YouTube. Yeah. And he has effectively no cost of production. Um, and so there are lots of stories like that. And and what's funny is that even a, a tech company as big as Snapchat is effectively built on Apple's tech and because yep. they run through iOS. You know, they're dependent on those cell phone users, many of whom are Apple users, to use the app and see the ads and drive their revenue. And Apple just said, we're changing the rules. And Snapchat got left by the side of the road and took like a 40% hit in their stock price as a result. Billions of dollars now- just evaporate. I mean, over across
0: ad tech today, I want to say it was 150 billion dollars of, of valuation, just a market cap, just a yeah,
1: 150 billion take dollars all diff- in a day, and you know
0: it's between all the different players. Yeah, so
1: it, I mean, it 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 it's fascinating and somewhat ironic because it becomes the same problem for these big tech companies that it is for individuals or for small business owners, which is. You're dependent on other people to provide the platforms that you use to drive your business. They change the platform. You get left holding the bag and you're out of business. Now, Snap's not out of business, but they took a very big and powerful gut punch today. Yeah. Um,
0: now, now here's what's even more interesting. You know who has a rapidly growing ad business? In fact, their ad business has quadrupled over the last quarter, over the last year, I can't remember the exact number, but exploded, right? Apple. (laughs) Apple has a a rapidly growing ad business because at the end of the day, you know, on the one end, they kind of paint themselves as we are here to protect you. We're your, your savior providing you with privacy, but they still get all the data. They're still watching everything. And they're spinning up their their ad division is increasing its revenue size. And so there's a there's a real question here around some of the major players that everyone else is building on top of, whether it's Apple or Google or I, you know, I don't know who like take Amazon as
1: an example, you know, where Amazon a couple of years ago had that scandal where individual sellers were saying, How do we know that you're not taking data about our sales? And using it to inform decisions that you make about Amazon's own in-house Amazon Basics products, your backpacks, your folding tables, your pencil sharpeners. How do you know that you're not basing that on on our data? And they said, don't worry, we're not. And then they came back and said, well, actually, we are. And people were like, this is outrageous. You know, like, how are we supposed to do business here? But it's their platform. So what came out of that, at least in part, was Shopify. And there was yeah. a solution and it's a viable solution. And it's growing where it's like you don't have to be on Amazon. You don't have to split your money yeah. with them. You don't have to share your data with them. You can build a freestanding online store and it can work. And to me, you know, it's a technical problem with a technical solution. And uh, like you were, Kevin, you sent me yesterday this uh, message from Ophir Gottlieb that his kind of like, um, hot take response to the snap earnings was like, well, if the Apple do not track option is driving this much revenue away from these tech companies, then we could have a recession. And, you know, my response to that is, these companies will just innovate out of it. And I think yeah. the metaverse and and something where they can sell directly to their customers and, and you know, figure out how to work the data tracking into that, like with NFTs or with cryptocurrency or something else. But I think that there's a real opportunity there. There's the same opportunity there for big companies that there is for small businesses to use this technology yeah, the- to, to connect directly with customers and and cut out the middleman
0: the problem is the plat- or the problem is even web 3.0 this new world we're talking about it sits on top of something and right now it sits on top of either an ant. i mean when you were showing me you tried to show me on your metamask earlier your you know on your your browser your nft's oh wait it's not on there let me show you on my iphone app i've got the app here on my phone oh here it works it works better here and that's my my experience often is th- is tech works better on my phone than even in my browser. And, yeah, I and think so you, that's the question. Like, how do we? Yes, there's this new world coming. Yes, there's all this innovation coming. But right now, Apple owns the product that we're building everything on top of. And how do we get away from that? Is there an open source phone coming? Or?
1: Well, I you know, hardware is tough. Um, yeah. And uh, even Google, I mean, Google's done a good job. I happen to like the Google Pixel phone. And and frankly, the thing that keeps me, I had one for a while. And the thing that that drove me back to Apple was the green text messages
0: where oh, I hate man,
1: it. you can't. It's really something you people write yeah. you messages and they're like, are you OK? You know, your text <laughs> message messages are green. Drop me a pin and I'll call the police, you know, yeah. like <laughs> they're they're worried. Yeah. So it's that, you know, and I remember reading stories that like. These teenagers had Android phones and then they found out that like a bunch of their friends had group text messages that they were left off of because they were like, no, if we let you in, then the whole thing turns green and we don't want that. So like, oh, I had a
0: I had a team member once I did not want to put on our group messages because when he was on our group message, then it screwed up for all the rest of us and made it, you know, double like and do weird things. Yeah. Like, Does he
1: really need to be on these messages? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's not as smooth. But um, MetaMask is an interesting example of of being on the phone without being of the phone. You know, like I didn't pay to download that MetaMask app. And the transactions that I do are not, quote unquote, in-app purchases. And they don't run through Apple Pay and they don't run through the App Store. If you use the MetaMask swap, you don't pay Apple a percentage of that. And when I buy NFTs on my MetaMask mobile app, which I have done many a time at this point, none of that goes to Apple. So they're they're using Apple as a platform, I suppose you could say, but they're not on Apple's rails financially. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. you know, so there are ways to do it. And I, I I, you know, I'm sure Apple is uh is working on it from their side as well and figuring out how they can capture more of that revenue. But um yeah, I think uh I think it's a problem that people will innovate around. And I think a big part of the solution is gonna be the metaverse. I think Snap yeah we'll probably figure it out, but I do think it's, you know, it's, um, it's something that's going to take ingenuity and, and, uh, reimagining a model that's been working to great effect for several years. And, and, yeah. you know, it's a multi-billion dollar organization. It's turning a super tanker, as they say, it's not going to happen overnight. So, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but I think, uh, the amount of activity we're seeing around uh, cryptocurrency and NFTs is a big clue for these companies about how they can do business and drive revenue and connect with the global market of, you know, tech consumers, especially younger people without having to pay Apple, whatever percent of it. Yeah. So it will be interesting, but that's, that's a longer term uh, story. Um, But I don't think I, I just, you know, I I don't I don't particularly agree with Ophir that's like, oh, my God, the ad tracking doesn't work anymore. We're going to have a recession. The ad tracking doesn't work anymore. So you need to sit down with some of the smarty, smart smarts that you've got in your company and come up with a new idea. You know, it's a technical problem with a technical solution. Figure it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think part of his thesis was as the ad as the ad tracking works less effectively. And this is partially because the earnings call. That the advertisers are pulling back because they don't want to use less effective ad tech, but I think there is a space in the market for 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 innovators in the ad tech space, whether it's Trade Desk, which I own, or somebody else to come along and say, we can target people. There's ways to figure out p- ways to target people that isn't that doesn't require the Apple tracking data.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it, it the the challenge becomes to find a new way in. I think if if, um, you know, Apple has effectively closed the road and said you can no longer use our app store as a gateway or a a pathway or a conduit to reach consumers and capture their data in order to sell it to advertisers or in order to entice advertisers, then you're just going to have to figure out another way to do that. You're going to have to figure out another deal to make with your customers to give them something that they want in exchange for their data and i think that thing might end up being nfts
0: that so that's the thing right give me something exchange cuz partially i want you to target ads well to me i don't really care about seeing ads for things i have absolutely no interest in in fact i'm quite excited when you know instagram figures me out to the point that they sell me exactly the thing that i was didn't even know that I wanted. I'm like, I need that thing, right? That's kind of an exciting moment when I find out there's some, I don't know, a new coffee gadget that I didn't know existed yet. Yeah, it is surprising. Figured me-
1: Especially that Facebook, Facebook and Instagram, the, the degree of accuracy with which they can target those ads is like you wake up in the morning and you open it and you think, I'm not looking to buy anything. And then they start showing you ads and you're like, whoa, that thing's cool. I mean, yeah. they got really good at it. So
0: I would rather that than they sell me, you know, ads for, serve me ads for things I have absolutely no interest in. Yeah, they're running in.
1: you ads about menopause, and you're like, this is right, an important exactly. issue, it's really not my problem, though.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: So uh, it's kind
0: of like when uh, you watch classic TV, you know, at late at night, and all the ads are for Depends, and you're like, yeah, you know, that's right. a great ad, but uh, yeah. it's not really not what I need at this point in life. Someday I'll I'll, I'll put that knowledge away. But
1: yeah, where they have like anyway. some aging actor talking about this <laughs> service will deliver your drugs to your house, and it's all charged to Medicare, and I'm like, yeah. that's great, but I'm 27. So, could you please right. just go back to Wheel of Fortune? You know, like, right.
0: And this and is, I mean, this is, the, I want to
1: watch TV. I don't need medication.
0: And that's a great, a, you know, a great explanation for why you need actually some sort of ad targeting is, you know, t- TV, current television can't target it. And for it's, you decades, know, so annoying. So, for, decades, for decades,
1: they were just yeah. guessing. They didn't know who you just were. Just guessing. They were just guessing. They said, oh, it's daytime TV. Who's watching daytime TV? Housewives and and housekeepers, so they're. Oh yeah, I mean, they just assume when I did.
0: when I did political organizing, that's one of the things we'd sit down and we'd look and we say, OK, we need to run ads. Let's see. We want to. Democrats tend to watch CNN between the hours of 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. So we'll just we'll you know they, we'll run those ads. But it's just a scattershot right? yeah. trying desperately to figure out who's watching what at what time. Yeah. But We didn't have great. We couldn't t- pin uh, exactly you know, pinpoint. Yeah, no, it's, okay. It's, we
1: should. Oh yeah. So we'll, we'll move on. We, but yeah, it's the difference. We between, should get on uh, with the interview. It's a difference between putting your money in a shotgun and putting your money in a sniper rifle. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, and I've been in those political conversations as well. And there's a lot of like, we we think we're kind yeah. of like, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. I hear you. We're moving on to the interview. So, um, we have, uh, my interview with one of the real OGs, as I said, of uh, of NFTs, the founder of Mintable, Zach Burks, um, who was very, uh, very generous with his time. He was uh, he was in Singapore. I think I caught him in the early morning. Um, so he uh, he may or may not have been eating his breakfast during uh, the interview. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was an interesting chat. Um you know cool to hear his perspective on on nfts the both the past present and future um and uh and yeah um was glad to get to talk to him so uh so yo let's go to that now
0: great let's dive in
1: all right. So uh, I'm here with uh, Zach Burks. He's the founder of Mintable, Mintable.app, which is uh, an NFT marketplace. And um, Zach, uh, we always like to start the interviews with a tough one. So uh, how are you doing, man? How are things?
2: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's super exciting to be here.
1: Yeah, appreciate you making time. So, um, all right, so uh let's start at the beginning, I suppose. Um I'm looking at your LinkedIn. It looks like uh you weren't always a software engineer crypto guy type of person. So, uh how did you get down the rabbit hole into the crypto web3.0 world?
2: Yeah, kind of. Uh you know, I'm real careful about what I put on LinkedIn and social media and stuff like that. So the whole story is not there. But ah uh, I've always been a nerd. So, you know, whether it was when I was, you know, 10 or 12 years old working on how to make HTML websites or whether it was, you know, the, the video games that I played, I've always been a big nerd. Um, and part of that was, you know, learning, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, uh, different languages, uh, you know, early on. Now, I never would have called myself a developer back then, or even, you know, after I got out of the military, uh, it wasn't until I really, decided to be one uh, that I would you know would classify myself as one. Uh, but you know 2012 or 2013 I found Bitcoin uh, pretty early on. Uh, you know it was kind of a life-changing thing. Uh, of course I didn't know what it was. no one knows what it is when they find it right They just said some magic internet money. Uh, but yeah it
1: sounds like nonsense. it sounded like total <laughs> nonsense
2: right but if you're if you're open-minded enough you'll 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 play around gamble with it uh experiment and then uh you know hopefully you stay stay on board uh likely i did so good on you yeah it's uh that was a good how did you find
1: it do you do you remember like how how did you come to it do do you have a recollection of like did a friend show it to you did you read a news article what was the moment Uh,
2: you know i I can't remember how I found it. I think there was some like online payment that I needed to do, and their Bitcoin was like preferred or accepted or uh, or it might have been related to the Silk Road in some manner where you know I heard about the Silk Road or i I was like looking into it or you know. I, <laughs> I don't really remember how I found it. So you I were, do remember
1: you were online on silk road shopping for some stuff that, you know, could have gotten yeah, it on I, Amazon, I, but thought I'll try silk road.
2: Yeah. Because and, you know, silk road, there's very, very nice socks on there. You know, they've got very, right, high exactly socks and, uh, and bedding and stuff like that. <laughs> no, no yeah. So I, I, not necessarily. So I'm yeah. just, I just remember that it was a form of payment and that's why I, like found it and identified it, but I can't remember what it was. And I'm thinking, you know, obviously at the time, uh, Silk Road was like the the major place I was using it. Other than that, there was really not very many options. So I'm not quite sure. I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying for a matter of fact that it was Silk Road or not. Uh, okay. I obviously, I obviously knew about it as most people did back then. Uh, knew about Silk Road. Uh, sure. They were in Bitcoin, but I remember, you know, having to go and use Mt. Gox and, you know, buy gold or digital gold with like a, like PayPal and then use the gold to transfer to Mt. Gox so that I could then buy Bitcoin. Uh, and it was just, you know, a a crazy process. Uh, so, you know, time goes by, I I ended up joining the U S army and, uh, you know, once I was in the military, I kind of, stepped back from crypto i wasn't too involved uh you know i was busy with military stuff and uh as i was coming you know coming out of the military and you know about my last year or two years in the military i started to get back into crypto as i was wondering you know, what am i going to do and started looking at you know my portfolio and uh i was like oh wow you know i've got some money here Um, So once I got out, I, you know, started diving into crypto a lot more. And when I found Ethereum in like 2015 and 2016, I converted all my Bitcoin over to Ethereum. I uh, started to become a smart contract developer. It was really exciting to me. So yeah, 2015 or 2016, I started developing smart contracts and coding, you know, different uh, blockchain related things for whether it was companies or projects or my own uh projects 2017 i found nfts uh, you know crypto punks came out i remember seeing them and i was thinking why do i want one of these like i don't even want to claim one because there's just it's pointless uh and That's funny did you claim one yeah no no i didn't I, I like i said i thought it was pointless and you know obviously i regret that but even if sure, i claimed it don't we all I'd, yeah i don't know if i'd even keep it. I probably would have sold it. You know, I was looking the other day, some crypto punk said this guy, this, this one punk, it only got sold once. It was uh, sold for $14 in in 2017.
1: Yeah. And the guy (laughs) was, yeah, it's like that pizza story that they tell about Bitcoin where it's like that one guy who paid 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza. It's like the same thing. You get $14 for a a crypto punk and it's like, great. I'm going to Quiznos. (laughs) <laughs> and uh <laughs> and that crypto
2: punk is now worth like god knows how many million dollars. Yeah, exactly. You know, history repeats itself. It's uh something that's pretty common in crypto is that that particular situation, right? Selling too early. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> So, yeah, I found, found NFTs by no conscious decision of my own. I fell in love with NFTs. Uh, it was, you know, after CryptoPunks, I was like, okay, that's interesting. But, you know, what's the point? Uh, and then a few months later, well, quite a few months later, at the end of the year, uh, CryptoKitties came out. And I was at the hackathon where they were presenting. And that was when, you know, everything kind of clicked for me. I was like, holy shit, this is really awesome. Uh, You know, uh, we've never had a game before. There's so much potential here. Like if this is just, you know, cats, but, you know, I can make something that could be tracking sapphires or it could be a voting system for, you know, the next presidential election. Right. So I really got convinced. uh, Again, it wasn't a conscious decision. Like I'm only going to work on NFTs for the next five years or whatever. That's what's happened So since 2017, that's all I've done is NFTs. I made Mintable in 2018. uh, And then, you know, the rest is history, right? I've been running Mintable since 2018. Now we're one of the largest NFT platforms on the internet. We have hundreds of thousands of users and we get millions and millions of users every month on the platform. Um, So, yeah, that's a little bit about my background.
1: Right on. Well, congrats, man. I mean, super exciting. I'm I'm always um, interested and a little bit jealous to hear of people who like not only heard of crypto and Bitcoin, but had the conviction to be like, Oh, I get it. And, and really get into it. Um, it, it took me a little bit longer. So, you know, good for you. And also I should say thank you for your service since we're, uh, we're talking about your military service. Thank you for doing that. Um,
2: yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, listen, man. I
1: mean, there, there are most things that I figure I could do if I had to, but like really carrying a gun and going into a war zone is one of those things that I'm just not sure. So, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I respect that, uh, that you stepped up and did that,
2: you know? Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's not as hard as you think it's, uh, you know, this, it's more excitement than, than you would imagine. And, uh, that makes it a lot easier. Right. Cause, uh, you know, when you're a young guy, you're uh, you want to run around and shoot guns and throw grenades and be in a video game kind of thing. So right that, ex- that excitement makes it a lot easier. And uh, then you know, a little bit older, when you start thinking about it, you're like, "Oh man, this is well, I was I'm nuts. Not gonna able, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not going to be able to. I won't talk to my kid for the rest of my life if this goes wrong. So, you know. yeah."
1: Well, let me ask, there is something on your uh, on your LinkedIn that I noticed before you um, started Mintable uh, that um, you were working with a group called Harvest Network and wrote a paper called Integrating Blockchain, Smart Contract Tokens and IoT Internet of Things to create a food traceability solution. Um, So that that caught my eye. That's interesting. I've I've lately been starting to try to think about like how to leverage um, blockchain tech and crypto tech, and I've heard Vitalik Buterin talk a lot about this. How to use this stuff for social good? And it seems like you were thinking about this back in 2018. Can you speak to that a little bit? What was that project?
2: Yeah, Harvest Network was a uh, it was an IoT solution to allow for uh, food traceability in the supply chain. So you know, uh, from farm all the way to the table tracking you know, strawberries or whatever food product you have along the way the uh treatments has gone through the the time periods that it's gone through uh, you know whether they're fresh or whether they've been on the shelf for six months whether they've been treated with pesticides or washed five times uh whether they've been certified by some sort of entity or not these are all things that, um, you know, would be pertinent information for a consumer to be able to know by scanning a QR code when they're standing in Walmart, right? If they're looking at some strawberries, they scan the QR code and they get to see, oh, hey, it came from two hours north of here. It's, you know, been treated with pesticides seven times and it's, you know, it was it was picked a week ago. And so now, you know, right off the bat, if, if you have strawberries that you know was sprayed with pesticides seven times... What is the first thing you're going to do when you go home? You're going to wash them, right? Instead of just pop them in your mouth. Um, So there's some information that we lack with that system. And, you know, one of the problems is automation. This is where the IOT comes in is you'll have a whole supply chain that uh, a lot of it will be automated or some of it is, you know, either completely manual, such as, you know, picking strawberries Um, And then the other process such as cleaning and washing is 100% automated, right? And so we had IoT devices that would, you know, process this data and information, put it on the blockchain. Uh, We would utilize NFTs to hold this data structure. Now, you got to remember back then the gas costs were not that big of an issue. You know, back in my day, gas prices were nickel, right? (laughs) This is
1: such a funny thing about crypto. I was just chatting with someone about this today is like people talk about things being historic and they happened like two years ago. It's (laughs) it's so funny. But yes, I mean, I remember even like at the beginning of 2020 when gas prices weren't that bad. And then all of a sudden, like the summer hit and, and everything exploded. You literally could not, you know, list something for sale without paying a hundred dollars. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny to think about now, back when Ethereum was uh, free and open place to just mess around and do
2: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, it, we 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 put up some action research, uh, published a paper. You know, we found a, uh, a university professor who was really interested in NFTs at the time, and uh, he was interested in what we were doing. Um, he said, hey, let's outline the process of what you guys are doing in a, uh, a research paper, and let's see if anyone would be interested in publishing it. I said, sure. You know, I've never I've never written a research paper before. Um, let's let's give it a shot. And lo and behold, uh, you know, it got picked up and published in the IEEE, which is a very, very prestigious, uh, you know, engineering and electrical engineering publication. Um, So it's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, that's 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 one of my nice little uh, accomplishments I'm proud of.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I know there, there are projects that I was reading about, especially earlier in the year, like, um, Iota, for example. And I know, um, I think Louis Vuitton or the the company that owns Louis Vuitton and a couple of the other luxury brands have been working on projects and solutions like this, which is basically using blockchain and NFTs and even QR codes that are, you know, um, like scanned and then the readings are stored on the blockchain to just trace the supply chain of anything, Um, whether it's, you know, Gucci bags or sneakers or food um, to prove that things are authentic, but also to know that they're safe and secure. And so obviously with food, like, yeah, it could be sprayed with pesticides or it could be riddled with, you know, some sort of dangerous uh, E. coli. And then you have like, okay, well, you know, this shipment was tainted. We can trace exactly where and when it came
2: from. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah, cool idea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, food, yeah. food recall is also a big problem as well, and that was that was part of the uh, the, the the offering of the solution, right? Is being able to say you know, the press button that we recall this entire batch, and then everyone's notified on their phones. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, cool. You, you know, obviously. I'm not still working for Harvest Network, so it 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 didn't take off. It wasn't you know successful, uh, but it was a good idea. It was very early on. Uh, there there's limitations and issues with uh, you know uh, the IoT aspect, the blockchain aspect. Uh, but this is part of you know the process that I think you know blockchain and NFTs have to go through, where you say, hey you know, in the first year of their life, this is the idea that we had. We think this is really good. Uh, But the reality is, is, you know, we're way too early, right? It's just way, way, way too early to be doing something like that with NFTs. Now you can start building something that might be a little bit more, uh, you know, appropriate for companies to adopt. Uh, Companies would probably be a little bit more uh, understanding or, Uh, interested at this point opposed to back then literally no one ever heard of the word NFT.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, let's. All right. So let's pivot off of that to uh, to mintable um it's you know it's a couple of years now that uh, you've been you've been running this platform we've seen nfts explode to a market worth billions of dollars and and growing everything from video games to uh one of one art pieces generative nft projects like uh you know board apes and and CryptoPunks, and uh increasingly um applications that kind of bridge the blockchain and the physical world, stuff like your um, food tracing project or uh, you know, other supply chain projects that I was talking about. Um, you know, as we sit here today, uh, what is your sort of bird's eye view of uh of the NFT market? Do you think it's it's going to be um art or or what do you see like coming up Um, as the next big frontier in NFT technology? What are we going to use these things for next?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. Look, I've never been bullish on art and collectibles or game items for NFTs. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Even since 2017, I always said that, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a niche within NFTs and that, that will be around, but I don't think it's going to be the main utility or use case right um there's a lot of you know vagueness within the technology of nfts and what that means is that you know if i want to build for example a traceability system or if i want to build a voting system for an election or if i want to build an insurance trading platform uh, these are all things that you can utilize nfts for on the flip side if i want to build you know, a digital goal within my video game. Um, This also falls into the kind of the technological realm of what NFTs can do. So when I look at something like games, I've always had this hesitation where I don't think Blizzard or I don't think Fortnite, or I don't think these large games are going to dive into NFTs because ultimately they're going to be losing a lot of money uh, or I guess not technically losing, but they're, they're leaving a lot of money on the table um, where if I have an item in the game that used to belong before NFTs, it used to belong to the game studio, the game company, it was not mine. Now it's an NFT. Now it's mine. Now I can leave whatever closed ecosystem they have, go over to Mintable, sell it on Mintable, make a million bucks on Mintable. They don't get any of it. And so from a business standpoint, in a regulatory uh, legal risk standpoint, why would they want to do that when they're not really seeing much of that money or any of that flow? Now, there's some, you know, models around that that they could build, um, such as having their own closed marketplace and making it where you can't move the NFT or putting it on their own little um, custodial system. Um, These are all different ways that they could do it. The question really dives into is if they do things like that, how how damaging is that to the nft's potential right if you take something that's supposed to be a free open technology that can be transferred you know as many times as you would like or to anyone that you want and you limit all of that the question is is like well do i really have an nft at this point right and so this is what i've always been game items has always been a low hanging fruit for me something that everyone thinks of is like oh that's a great idea these are this is going to be the next big thing for nfts but in reality i think that's too simple it's too right in your face Everyone thinks about this. I don't think that's going to be the one, uh, and so art and collectibles with artwork, <laughs> art is just never going to be the one. If we're going to be, uh, you know, let's just say a hundred billion dollar or a trillion dollar industry for NFTs alone, uh, that's not all going to be art, right? There's just just most people just don't spend that much money on art, uh, and the average person is not considered an art collector, and so. If we want NFTs to be interacted with on a daily basis in society, which they most definitely will be and they're starting to be, um, we've got to go beyond artwork because you don't interact with art on a daily basis, right? What was the last time that you went to a store and bought art?
1: Well, I mean, I myself bought a couple of NFTs, but, uh, yeah, but I hear what you're saying that it's like, it's a, it's a niche kind of, um, marketplace that attracts a person who's, who's interested in, in collecting these things. Um, you know, that's not really, it's not like going to Starbucks. It's not like, listen, I got to get my artwork or I can't start my day. It's not an essential activity.
2: Right, right. And that's, that's art and game items. Now, collectibles is something else. And collectibles is a very broad category. And I think with collectibles, we do run into this huge potential where, you know, if I ask you on a daily basis, how often do you interact with a collectible in your life? It's actually, there's probably some obscure object that you do come in contact with that is considered a collectible in one way, shape or another. Um, and I would argue that most people have this, whether it's this r- rare T-shirt that you have from a concert, or whether it is, you know, something that you have on your keychain or whatever. Right? There's all these there's millions of different, you know, forms of collectibles that you could have. Um, now that has got a lot of potential, and that's where we've seen a lot of this ten billion dollars that we've done this year in volume is from collectibles um, and you know, whether it's a celebrity releasing something, um, and raising a few million dollars, or it's these avatars and, you know, profile picture projects that will release, uh, you know, their 10,000, uh, kitty cats or penguins or lions or whatever. Um, these are where we're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of the money, a lot of the people interacting with, uh, because it makes sense. If you stop, you know, my mom, I'm probably going to reference my mom a lot here. Uh, my mom, for background is a construction worker. She can barely use Facebook, right? So, you know, you can think of a typical, you know, older generation who's not very tech savvy. Um, if you stop her on the street and you say, Hey, let me tell you the gospel about Bitcoin. You're going to need like an hour. And she probably is not going to understand it. But if Yeah. You I'd imagine
1: that st- conversation lasts about 15 seconds. And then she's like, son, <laughs> you know, I have things that I
2: really need to do. <laughs> right exactly if some weirdo yeah. says if they if they start a sentence with let me tell you about the gospel uh, you pretty much you're done <laughs> but, yeah exactly uh, uh the next thing is if you say let me explain nfts to you you can do that in a minute it's fairly simple you can say hey you know about baseball cards well they're on the internet now it's digital right uh or hey you know what artwork is yeah now there's this digital version of it that you own Um, And it's very easy to convey that message. You don't need a financial background. You don't need to have experience working on Wall Street. You don't need to be someone who says, oh, option trading with, you know, I'm going to hedge my bet and, you know, I'm going to do this margin position, things like this. All these technical terms and experience that financial analysts or financial experts might have that you have to have for crypto and blockchain and DeFi is not needed for NFTs. So it's inherently easier to understand and get started with. And when I, you know, take someone who's brand new to crypto and I say, "Hey, go buy this synthetic token on this DeFi platform, and then you know, stake it and then put it into a pool,"
1: or and explain say, hey. to me why and explain to me why you're doing that and what you expect to get from it. It's complicated,
2: right? And there, I mean, it's it's just complicated to to know what to do. Like to know, okay, I need to put this in this pool and then I need to take it out and deposit it and I got to watch my APY. And whereas if you just say, "Hey," look at this profile picture avatar. Uh, It's going for a hundred bucks now, but hopefully you'll be able to flip it for a thousand bucks because it's like a a yard sale, right? At that, you know, that's very easy for someone to understand and grasp their head around. And what that means is that, you know, you don't have to, you know, have a a, a college degree or years of experience. You can just literally just say, Hey, I think that this is a cool project of Lions. I'm going to buy two lions for a hundred bucks and I'm going to list them for sale for a thousand bucks. And you know, so you, you, you no, I mean, I, I
1: got you, but so it, to be clear, like it sounds like on the one hand, so when you say you don't think that art is the best use case or gaming is the best use case, but collectibles are the best use case. So do you put art in a separate category from like PFPs, like the board API club, you consider those two separate things?
2: Well, I guess let me take a step back. First off, I think that art. I'm not, I'm not bashing these, these categories, by the way. What, I, what I'm saying is I think when you look at the ultimate goal, which is billions of people using NFTs on a daily basis, I don't think we're going to get there just from artwork. We're not going to get there just from the super rares, and the foundations and, you know, the peoples and Sotheby's. Meaning right?
1: like, okay, so, so
2: when you say that artwork, you're talking about like one of one artwork. Just in general artwork, how many times have you sat down in the auction house and, and participated in anything related to art in your life? I would yeah, probably no. bet never. I've, I've,
1: yeah, I've seen, exactly. it in, uh, I've seen it in, in movies. There right. is uh, the last one. The last good one was Uncut Gems. Do you see that where it's Kevin Garnett bidding on a big opal? That was cool. But no, no I've never been um, that guy. I've never sat down with the paddle and done the uh, thing and gotten a yeah. little golf clap when I paid too much money for something. I've never done Wait,
2: that. Hold, hold on. Hold on. I don't, I, don't, I, I wasn't, a, I, I've never heard about what you were talking about, but I just got to point this out. This guy's name was Kevin Garnett and he was bidding on a opal and it wasn't a garnet. Oh
1: my God, <laughs> dude, you gotta, you gotta see this movie uncut gems. We uh, can, we can talk about it offline. you have, you have Netflix, right? Do you have Netflix access? Yeah. No, I'll look it
2: up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, yeah go yeah.
1: watch uncut gems. Oh my goodness. I love, gracious.
2: I love gemstones. I actually collect gemstones and I'll, I'll do prospecting myself and go dig gemstones out of the ground. So if it's about gems, oh yeah, I'll watch it for sure.
1: Yeah. No, that's uh, that's that's my if you take nothing away from this conversation, please go watch that movie. You'll love it. But uh, but yeah, there's a good there's a a good auction house scene in that one. But yeah, I mean, I've seen it. I think we all know that image of like, you know, the rich people who sit down and they have their like advisors. And there's people calling in from Japan who are like placing random bids on some, you know, Chinese vase or God knows what.
2: Um, Yeah, I've never been one of those. never going to do that. And that's the right. problem. And so that's what I'm simply saying. Now, I think there was still, you know, how much money does Sotheby's and Christie's do a year, right? They do billions of dollars of transactions, right? So it's still going to be a big part. But I think that, you know, when we look at massive adoption of NFTs, it's going to come from multiple different areas. And that's what I'm saying. So I think we're going to see multiple areas that make up what the NFT ecosystem looks like. And, you know, people may be surprised to find that in a few years, maybe one of the most interactive with NFTs is something as, you know, boring as like your insurance policy. Right. Your driver's license. Exactly. And, you know, that's on one level with like the government or, uh, you know, some sort of documentation like your insurance. But, on the other level, what if you went to Starbucks or you went to Taco Bell and you got a coupon that was an NFT or you scan a QR code and you get one of those, you know, those cards that they they punch out a hole every time you get a coffee, right? You get nine of them, you get a free coffee or whatever. What if yeah. that was an NFT? Yeah. What if when you buy your Nikes, it comes with an NFT right. as a certificate of authenticity, right? So all right. of these things are not necessarily, you know, investments. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, games. They're not necessarily something that you're going to prize value, but there's something that you're going to have in your face every single day. Oh, I just bought some shoes and it came with the NFT or, oh, I just got, you know, my coupon from Starbucks is an NFT.
1: Right. Things- I think it, I think it comes to the point where it becomes uncomfortable to buy those things without the NFT where it's like, you want me to spend a thousand dollars on a Louis Vuitton bag and there's no NFT. How do I even know this thing is
2: real? you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's the goal, right? That's what we want is we want this to be so rampant within society that people are just like, wait, wait, wait. I don't know what NFT stands for, but there better be. But I NFT need, I need to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I actually want to put this out. I, I, I say this a lot, but do you know what DVD stands for? Oh yeah. Is, right. No, one is it, does. is it, I don't it's know.
1: not, di- is it digital video disc? I don't know.
2: I couldn't tell. Oh, you. I, man. I have, I have no idea, dude. But it's a fair you know what? question. Everyone knows what a DVD is, right? That's right. And what about USB? I mean, I. Universal I know serial answer. bus. Yeah. But mm-hmm. my mom doesn't know that. Your mom for sure
1: the- does know that. She knows thumb drive. Yeah. Or that little doohickey. Right. Yeah. Um, You put the thing in the no, the other, the one that's the shape, the same shape. That's the one you put it in that one.
2: And don't pull it out yet. You got to make sure you can't pull it out. Yeah,
1: Uh, don't. It'll get mad. It yells at you. It beeps. Don't do that.
2: So, you know, that's where we're going with NFTs, where it's going to be, you know, ATM, DVD, USB, NFT. Um, and then you may ask someone, you know, you don't even know what an NFT is. They'll go, well, yeah, but I've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of them. Um, so that's where we're going. And I don't think it's going to be just artwork or just games that are going to do that. I think it's going to be this collaboration of everything. And that's what we're building at Mintable is not only a platform for you to create your artwork or your music as an NFT, which by all means you should, you should be doing that. And even if you don't sell it everything you make should be made as an NFT. And uh, we can talk about that later on why that is, but you should most definitely make every single creation. You have as an NFT? Even you, Adam, you should take this podcast episode and make it as an NFT. Don't sell it. Don't publish it. Don't, don't, you know, don't tweet about it or anything like that, but just making it habit so that in five years down the road, 10 years down the road, you now have a 10 year old NFT in your possession that you can say, Hey, I think it's time. I want to sell this.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Kevin and I have talked about, you know, NFTing the episodes of the show, but I was thinking we would wait and do it when we were going to like shill it immediately and be like, hey, come and get it. We're NFTing our podcast episodes. You can have episode one, the most historical future folio ever. But yeah, I I think you're right. Like, just just get it and put it in a wallet and and keep it and uh, and then see what happens with it. Um, I think it's an, it's an interesting point. It seems to me the larger point you're making is like almost make a digital ledger of your possessions and your creations and, and the things that you have that have value to you and put it in an NFT and put that on a blockchain. Um, you know, similar to like, do you know that company Pope? I think it is P O A P. Yeah. Pull up. Yeah, POAP. So, so it's it seems to me like what you're describing is sort of, you know, similar to what they do where they're like this token proves that you, you know, were at this place and, and saw this concert or did this thing. Like, it's very famous. Everybody says they saw Jimi Hendrix play at Woodstock. But the reality is that Hendrix played almost at the very end of the concert and virtually no one was actually there. But everybody says that they saw Hendrix at Woodstock. It's impossible. And like... There, you know, the, the, the PO app is like, yeah, I was here, here it is. I can prove it, you know? And it seems to me like the NFT, what you're proposing is, um, is the same thing where it's like for the things that are meaningful to you that you own or you create or both, you know, NFT them and then right. just have that.
2: Well, you know, think about it uh, in the traditional sense. Uh, if you're a Picasso, <clears throat> I mean, if you're an artist and no one knows you, and your name's Picasso, and you're making all these scribbles in your notebook and you're making all these paintings. Again, no one knows you. What are you going to do with those? You put them in your attic and you forget about them. And then 20 years later, oh, lo and behold, you become this famous artist. Someone discovers these paintings in your attic, and you know you got 100 million dollars worth of paintings that you've kept in your attic. So that's the same principle here. Is You know, you never know what's going to happen with you and your career. And storing it as an NFT is smart because you can take that. And what is the number one driver of value or price for NFTs? It is their age, right? The older the NFT, the more valuable they are if they're still around. So if you were to come out and say, look, I've got a five-year-old NFT today, it's going to fetch a premium and people are going to want it because of how rare it is to have an NFT that old. Um, no, I mean, you can't have a five-year-old NFT now because NFTs aren't even five years old, but you get what I'm saying.
1: No, I think that's absolutely true. I think when, when I read sort of market reports about NFTs, the first thing they say about crypto punks is not like the art is gorgeous or it was an innovative drawing or anything. They just say it was the first one, you know, it's the oldest. And that in and of itself is most of the value as far as I can tell of that project, which is worth many, many millions of dollars.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what we do at Mintable is we allow for you to be able to make anything you want as an NFT, but also we're a marketplace. We're an open marketplace. Uh, we have every single NFT on the blockchain. We're working on this right now. And this is going to be out here in about a week. Um, it's a complete redesign of a lot of our stuff. We've added all these new functionalities, but you as a creator can go on, make it NFT on Ethereum completely for free. And so this is where we go back to my mom. I want my mom to use NFTs. That's the goal. And I say, okay, mom, sit down, use Mintable, make it NFT. And she goes, oh, I don't have a wallet. Oh, I don't have crypto. I don't know what I'm doing, right? And she can't use it. So we said, look, how do we fix that? We got to solve this mom test. So everything we build, we basically say, can my mom use this? If it requires crypto, if it requires that you have to understand how to make transactions or wrap your Ethereum or you know, enter a bridge or leave a bridge, none of these things are, are something my mom's gonna understand. So one of the things we made was gasless minting. And this is like revolutionary. Uh, You know, I've created a lot of things. I've worked with the Ethereum Foundation. I've created ERC-2981. I've created batch minting for NFTs back in 2018. It was the first iteration of of that. Um, And I created gasless minting in December of last year. And it was this moment where I had an idea. I tried it. It worked. And I said, holy shit, this is insane. I've just figured out how we can mint NFTs on the mainnet of Ethereum with no transaction. And so that removes the, you know, the environmental impact that removes the gas cost for a user. Um, And you go, Oh, okay, well, what's the downside sack? Is it centralized or, you know, there's gotta be a catch. There is no catch, right? That's the awesome part is like, there literally is no catch. It's a full fledged NFT. You have complete control and ownership of it. And the one thing was that we did, you know, we hosted the data on our own server because, you know, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, and of course, some people didn't like this uh, because they want to decentralize. And now in this update, you can go on. You don't need crypto. So a lot of our users have never gone to Coinbase or Binance. They've never signed up for an account. They've never invested in Bitcoin or Ethereum, but they heard about NFTs, they're an artist or whatever. They made their first NFT a mintable because we don't require them to have that crypto. They just have to sign a message. Um, and when that NFT sells, they literally are making their very first Ethereum or crypto in their wallet, right? So uh, when you go, you can create this NFT. It's the the metadata and the image is all stored in a permanent decentralized file storage. This Is one of the things we've added, so your NFT will exist forever. Uh, is that where's that
1: on interplanetary file system? Are you using that, no. or are you using so, something else?
2: No, no, no. IPFS is actually not. Uh, permanent. Uh, your your items will be deleted after you know a year or two years unless you run a server where you host those files. And so I kind of scratch my head and I go, wait a second. I got to run a server. That's what I do already on you know Google or on Amazon. What's the difference? There is no difference. So most people don't know that IPFS actually is not permanent. It's not a very good solution. Um, so we use BlueZelle. Which is a uh, Zell is a it's a it's a crypto project they've they've created they have a decentralized uh, uh, network of uh, of node operators uh, so it's kind of similar to Rweave in the sense of the technology the implementation is very different Rweave also has some issues with like uh, censorship and you know not really being decentralized but uh, so Zell is a decentralized node system of uh, you know file storage. I can uh, upload something that's replicated across the internet and it's there forever. Uh, there is no deletion period. Uh, you know, technically uh, we're paying to host this data, but you know, it's, it's not a big deal. We pay for it. Who cares? Uh, and then, you know, you have this there forever on your NFT. So, you know, that's one of the things we do at Mintable. On the flip side, you know, maybe you just bought a Lion, or a penguin or a crow, or, you know, you name your animal that you just bought from a drop and, you know, you want to flip it. Well, one of the things that we built is this really cool new algorithm using uh, geometric statistical analysis on the uh, attributes to show you, you know, in a very easy to understand common, rare, you know, super rare or holy grail of, you know, the rarity of your NFT. So there's no longer having to go to like three different tools and get like these, like just random numbers that you have to assume, okay, well, I got 380. Is it out of 300? Is it out of a thousand? Or is this out of 10,000? Like that's my rarity score. But what does that mean? We literally just show you, this is the, in the top one percentile. This is in the top 0.1 percentile of all the NFTs. And then you can search by that. So this makes it really easy for a new user to come on and immediately evaluate, do I wanna buy this? Oh, it's common. It's common and it's above the average price. I'm not gonna buy it. Oh, it's a holy grail rarity and it's below the average price. I wanna buy that. That's a good deal, right? Uh, we've got really cool analytics that we've been working on. <laughs> and all this stuff makes the marketplace easier and more familiar than if you were to use like OpenSea, right? If I sat my, I have, I've sat my mom down and said, mom, use OpenSea. And she's like, what the hell is this? Right? She literally doesn't know what she's looking at. Uh, The information presented just doesn't make sense to her. So we've taken, you know, some of the information that, you know, is on the blockchain. We've added a lot of information. Like we have analytics showing the average price over the last 90 days, um, the volume, the transactions, the top sellers, all the uh, you know, information you're going to need to be able to say, look, this project is trending up or trending down. Uh, so that when my mom looks at that, she understands what she's seeing. And my mom can say, look, the average price for this item is $500, but this one's being sold for $10,000. That is not a good deal. And that's the whole point is because if I ask you, Adam, if I give you a Babe Ruth card from the 1970s, right? A baseball card from the 70s. And I say, what's the value of this card? You don't know. I don't know. I don't, to be honest, I don't even know if there is a 70 favorite card, right? I'm not a, I'm not a baseball card expert. No one knows the price of this unless they've been in the space and they've been learning about baseball cards. And it's the same for NFTs. If I give you a crypto punk and I say, what's the value of this crypto punk? You don't know unless you've been like investing in, in crypto punks or you know about crypto bucks. You're like, Oh, well that's got a cigarette and 3d glasses. That's really rare. I would say that's $3 million. So we want to solve that because that's one of the biggest questions that we get is how do I know if my NFT is valuable or how do I value an NFT? Um, so we've built some tools for that. We've also built a whole new comment system so that you can now comment and have discussions around NFTs like on a marketplace, just like you would on Amazon, right? You can go comment on things on Amazon or ask the sellers questions um, and a lot more. Right. We built a, a ton of other things. I, I can go on for hours about all the features. We've been working on this for a few months now. Uh, it's also a complete redesign. So uh, we look a lot more sexier now, right? Our team went from zero people in January. It was just me um, to now we have 30, 31 people. Someone starting today. Wow.
1: Congrats. People. That's That's yeah. crazy. That's yeah, yeah, man. That's that zero to one of startups. That is like so intense.
2: So congrats. Yeah, thank you it's it's been crazy uh, and you know to put that into perspective uh you know when we built well, I, I built this in december the, the version you see now uh, the designs that we had was from just some freelancer right uh, in fact he was from africa uh because i didn't have very much money to pay for this i've been funding Vintable for for three years at the time um, uh, and so they weren't very good and, you know, they just, they just didn't look very good. Now we have two UX designers. One of them used to work for Lucas Phillips on star Wars, right. doing, um, 3d animations for star Wars. And so the level, the quality of what we have on, on our team is so much better now than what it was, you know, just a year ago. And so what yeah, that man. means is
1: industrial yeah. light and magic. They're the best.
2: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, right on. so it, it's, it's exciting we've got exciting stuff coming out I think you know, you're know you going to see uh, here in a few months Mintable uh, is going to be known for a lot of things and there's a lot of really exciting stuff that we are working on that we don't want to say just yet um, but yeah you should definitely get involved and get started using it now start making some NFTs start seeing how it works you can purchase your NFTs with credit cards which is huge. Again, we went back to the mom test. We said, my mom can now make NFTs because of gas was here. But she can't buy NFTs because she still doesn't have crypto. So we started looking for a credit card solution. So now my mom can come in, put in her credit card and buy her first NFT with zero crypto in her wallet. And it's not a middleman. She doesn't get, you know, one ETH sent to her wallet and then she makes the transaction. No, no, no. She literally just puts in her credit card and then now she has the NFT. Right. It's just like you would on Amazon or anywhere else. And that's the goal. So that's also a big game changer. <clears throat> so, like when we did a drop with CNBC, uh, it was a very, very big drop. They promoted it for like three days on CNBC. You know, Kramer talking about it. They are running commercials on live TV and all the, the hosts of their TV show were talking about it. Um, 40% of the people were paying with their credit card, right? Because they would come on, they don't have crypto and they just buy it with their credit card. Um, and now they have their first NFT. And so this is all really important. And this means that you have a better chance of selling your NFT, especially if your demographic of followers or fans is not crypto savvy.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, that makes a lot of sense. All right, man. Well, listen, uh, that uh, you've been really generous with your time and I appreciate it. I have uh, a last question for you and then I'll let you go. Um, I know you're in Singapore and I don't know if they have trader Joe's over there, but, um, I know you were here in California, prior. So, uh, we like to ask everyone, what is your favorite item at Trader Joe's? If you have one, if you can recall,
2: um, uh, no, they don't have Trader Joe's here. Um, yeah, that's rough. That's eh, okay. I, 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 didn't go to <laughs> Trader Joe's too much. I, I mean, I've been in there very, you know, quite a few times, but it was never my go-to, uh, you know, I'm more of an Albertsons of bonds guy. Um, but I'm trying to think, uh, you know what I like? There is this hummus and it's not unique to Trader Joe's. It's, uh, I think I can get it pretty much anywhere like Costco or, uh, or Vaughn's, but I would always get hummus from Trader Joe's. There was this, uh, like three pack of hummus that they had or something. It was really good. So.
1: Right on. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. We're, uh, we're compiling the list. So, uh, at some point we'll have the list of all our guests, favorite Trader Joe's items and I will NFT that,
2: uh, you're going to, you're going to NFT a shopping list.
1: Yeah. The ultimate, uh, the ultimate web three trader Joe's shopping list. There's <laughs> guaranteed there's only going to be one of those. So, uh, yeah. All right, Zach. Well, thanks very much, man. It's it really exciting. Really appreciate you sharing your perspective on the market and, um, fascinating to hear what you guys are working on. Um, is definitely, um, you know a unique kind of view of the market i i uh i really appreciate that you're not like really chasing trends and you're and you're trying to develop your own thesis and stick to it and that's super cool so um very exciting to uh to hear that you're growing and and uh, uh i'm going to check it out and and see about you know nfting some stuff and uh, excited to see what you guys do next
2: awesome thank you adam i appreciate the time today man yeah you too thanks again all right bye all right, bye.
0: Okay, that was a great interview. All right. Thanks for Adam for stepping in. I uh, I couldn't be there for this interview. So Adam stepped in and uh, did a great interview. Uh, now he's gonna realize he doesn't need me on the interviews anymore. So I'm gonna be just redundant. Hmm. So do not send him emails praising his interviewing skills. Don't tweet at him unless you wanna just say, we really missed Kevin on that
1: interview. Yeah, so. we needed we needed the Kevin touch. <laughs> Um, no, it was, I think the thing that, that he really highlighted for me that I came out of that interview really fired up about was he was like the number one driver of value for NFTs is their age. So he's like, just start minting stuff and sit on it. And in five years or 10 years, just by dint of its historical value of its age, it could be valuable. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, uh, that really put it in perspective. I mean, when you read about CryptoPunks, it's the first thing they say is like, this was the first NFT project. I don't think the art is that good. Uh, you know, the the utility of the the project, the community is what it is. But the one thing that you cannot argue with is that that was the first generative NFT project. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it's funny um, in In crypto stuff that happened in 2017, let alone stuff that happened in 2012 is considered to have, quote unquote, historical value. Whereas it's like, you know, people talk about 2017 as if it's like the dark ages and it was pre covid, but it's four years ago. Come on, like we're grownups. That's not that long. But uh, but yeah, it um, it really does make you think like, look, just start making NFTs and stick them in a wallet and just let the clock run and see what happens Um, we really are just in the infancy of NFTs, what they are, what they'll do. Most people who you talk to about NFTs are just like, you know, immediate doll's eyes. Like, what are you talking about? Why should I care about this? So, um, yeah, it, it was a fun chat. Um, glad for Zach mintable is growing and, um, yeah, definitely someone who had his own take on uh, on the NFT space and on the market, and uh, was fun to uh, to hear. Um, so appreciate him, um, and we will add hummus to our list of the guest favorite Trader Joe's products.
0: Well, that's bit, uh, do they have Trader Joe's in uh, Singapore? Or is is, no. is he uh...
1: he lived in California before he went to Singapore? So I I asked him if he could to go all the way back. If he could remember his time here on the uh, Golden Shores, California, what he used to buy at Trader Joe's. And the answer was hummus. So hummus. hummus. There you go.
0: One of my first Trader Joe's memories was the hummus four pack. You know, you could get like the the four different
1: flavors. I think he called it a three pack. That was his thing. I think he called it a three pack. But yes, he was like the multi pack of hummus.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time I went to a Trader Joe's and I picked that up for a party and I thought this is this is the future.
1: You know, the founder of Trader Joe's, this is like a whole becoming a whole sort of like sub uh, subplot for this uh, podcast. The founder of Trader Joe's Joe something. He has an Italian last name. He uh, he just released a memoir, which I'm really I'm curious to read here. Trader. It just trader joe's memoir trader It just joe started a as a in the new yorker yeah man here he is joe columb there you go what's his and he book started
0: called? in monrovia right
1: uh, i'm not sure i haven't read the book yet the book is called becoming trader joe So I'm in.
0: Interesting. I'm, I'm, gonna pick I'm this that up. is
1: yeah, I'm waiting for the audiobook. I want to hear Trader Joe tell me exactly how he got from wherever he started to having a million stores that sell cinnamon bun spread because I love that stuff.
0: I think we need to have the real Trader Joe on the podcast. I right? would love and, that. And to ask and to ask him. What's his favorite item at Trader Joe's? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think if there were like Trader Joe's NFTs, if you could buy like the NFT of white cheddar popcorn, I'd be like, yeah, I, you know, I'm thinking about it. The Hatch Valley Green Salsa. Yeah, I want that NFT.
0: All the artwork, you know, they've got all the artwork up in the store on the walls and up up around the top. Totally NFTable.
1: I agree. I yeah, the Trader like, Joe's logo? Yeah, a real uh, a real um opportunity, metaverse opportunity there to uh let the employees not just pick the music, but pick the NFT art on the walls.
0: It's 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 gonna be huge.
1: Get at us, get at us, Trader Joe. We're here for you. We're gonna take you into the metaverse. He's here, he's holding a giant piece of cheese in this photograph in the New Yorker and with a big <laughs> smile. That and is he's a still lot alive, of right? Favarti. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like uh, this New Yorker review of his uh, memoir. He's being interviewed. Becoming if Trader any of the- Joe, How I Did Business My Way and Still Beat the Big Guys. Man, it's such a throwback, right? It's like a title that he could have written in the 70s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if any of our dear listeners uh, know Mr. Trader Joe, uh, if you want to hook us up.
1: Yeah. Or at least I'll take some sour Scandinavian swimmers. If nothing else. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. Um, So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with uh, with the market and with the world um, in the next week. It really seems like I was thinking that today that the idea of like dividing time into decades now is a joke. As if like 2010 to 2016 had anything to do with 2016 to 2020. You know? Yeah. My God. So, um, you know, we have a whole week off to see what crazy thing the world comes up with to do next. And then we'll be back to talk about what it means for investing in money and stuff. Sounds good. See you all next week.
2: All right. Bye.